Welcome to Traveling Culturati, where we explore cultures and share travel news, travel tips, destinations, and travel chats. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Well, hey there, fellow Culturati. Javon Harley here, your host and travel pro for Traveling Culturati. You know what I'm going to say. I want you to join the travel club. Yes. Why? Because you'll be the first to know when we're on the go and you get to be part of some fantastic destinations and group trips and you get to meet and travel with some awesome people. You can make it all happen at TravelingCulturati.com. So go ahead and join in on the fun. Well, have you heard of the Seychelles Islands, commonly known as the Seychelles? Maybe you've romanticized it or maybe it's unknown to you. Well, today we'll discover the Seychelles and get to know this island nation. Taking us on this exploration is David Germain, the regional director for Tourism Seychelles, who's also a Seychelles national. We'll also have Javon's Travel Minute and the Culture Report. But as always, we start off with some travel news. Now, recently, we've just finished the 4th of July holiday and we are embarking on summer travel, but United Airlines did not fare so well this past holiday season. They were the airline that was in the hot seat this time. It seems like every holiday, there's one airline that's in the hot seat. Well, this time it is United. United is now offering travelers 30,000 miles following the week-long of disruptions that were leading up to the 4th of July holiday weekend. United wrote in an email last week, and it was from Chief Customer Officer Linda Jojo. I know this week was hard, really bad weather, air traffic control issues, and some of our own operational challenges led to a rough experience for you and many of our customers. Severe thunderstorms did have widespread effect on travel disruptions this past week. However, United fared worse than any other U.S. airline, and it led the way in cancellations and delays in the days following the inclement weather. As a result of thousands of cancellations and delays, United reported within the week, thousands of travelers were left stranded in airports across the country, scrambling for backup flights ahead of the 4th of July weekend or date reported to be one of the busiest travel weekends on record. According to United, the email was sent to customers with trips between June 24 and June 30, and who were delayed overnight or had their flights canceled. United explained in the email that customers will get a follow-up email later next week with simple steps to automatically add 30,000 miles to their account. This is, of course, for existing Mileage Plus members, and they'll have one path. Those non-Mileage Plus members will be given instructions on how to sign up and receive their miles. United initially blamed the Federal Aviation Administration for the disruptions, but the carrier also faced staffing issues with its chapter of the Association of Flight Attendants reporting long wait times for scheduling. And to add fuel to the fire, one of the executives chartered a private plane from Teterboro Airport to Denver to restore its operations. And United said that it did not pay for his flights. And of course he apologized for flying on a private jet. Guess he didn't trust his own operations. 
the gesture of the 30,000 miles in addition to many other ways they've been helping customers whose travel was impacted the past week including things like providing vouchers for hotels and meals offering amenity carts with snacks and beverages and giving customers future travel credits and miles interestingly though united did not suggest it would reimburse all affected customers for costs incurred during the meltdown as southwest did after a similar mess during christmas and i was part of that southwest christmas meltdown and yes they did reimburse for additional expenses they also refunded airline tickets of course and they gave 25,000 miles and you know don't balk at those free miles for example i was able to get two round trip airline tickets between chicago and washington dc using miles only on southwest so yeah if you don't have a mileage plus with united and you were affected just sign up and get those miles because they do translate into free tickets and let's just hope we have no more major meltdowns with airlines especially this busy summer season coming up talking about the busy summer season and other things that are impacting summer travel the u.s passport application system is backed up once again so buckle up for a very long wait hopefully you don't need a passport right away and you took heed earlier this year when i said to you if you are in need of a passport or even are thinking about travel and your passport is nearing the end because remember we have that validity period apply for your passport right away because it's still looking grim it has gone from eight to 11 weeks to 13 weeks to 15 weeks to well we don't know how long it's going to take us to process your passport and it is a grim outlook they have a record processing of 500,000 applications a week and it is on track to top last year's 22 million passports issued according to the state department the state department is citing the issue is really covid by march concerned travelers began asking for answers and then demanding help even going to their representatives in the house and the senate because of the shortage but the U.S. Secretary of State is saying that COVID, the bottom basically dropped out of the system and they haven't been able to truly recover. There were times where the processing time got better, but they really haven't been able to truly recover with staffing because when COVID happened and passports weren't being processed at all, employees and contractors were reassigned to other areas and so trying to get the staff back has been a big challenge so you can really expect long waits for example a family from dallas texas has cited that in early march they applied for four passports ahead of their family vacation that was to occur the end of june and the initial wait time was eight to eleven weeks and they thought okay good we'll still have our passports a month ahead of our travels well, then they got a notification that it would be 13 weeks. And then two weeks prior to their travel, they were still being processed. 
trying to call, you can be on hold for 90 minutes or more. But fortunately for this particular family, they did have a happy ending. They got their passports just ahead of their travel. It took a lot of doing, a lot of extra stress, a lot of extra phone calls and manipulation and all of that, but they did finally get their passports by acquiring an appointment. So don't delay. You really want to make sure that number one, if you need a passport, you definitely want to do expedited services. They too are delayed. If you try to within two weeks of your travel, four weeks, if you need a visa, call to get an appointment so that you can go there and get your passport either within the same day or within a week. You want to try and do that. It is going to take a lot of energy and effort to do it. And you may even need to go to another city to make that happen. But yes, plan, plan, plan. And hopefully you did take heed earlier this year when I said, get a new passport, get a passport, get a renewed passport now. Well, talking about airlines and passports and all of these things, let's talk about your passenger rights, what you're going to need to know during a travel meltdown, especially with the airlines. Yes, hundreds of thousands of passengers have experienced flight delays and cancellations recently, and this is going to be a very busy summer, so expect to have more. So it's not necessarily a question of if, but when maybe. Right now, airline passengers in the U.S. don't really have what's called true rights during what is called especially an act of God. The airlines are pretty much exempt from all of that in the event of an act of God. Let's say, for example, bad weather. And airlines usually will just cite bad weather because it then becomes a snowball effect. And if they're not prepared, then they just have a meltdown. So in extreme weather situations, passenger rights really don't apply. But the Department of Transportation is really trying to change that. Now, this is where having a travel credit card that offers trip protection and covers weather-related scenarios can help, in addition to getting travel insurance. The card can offset the cost of unexpected expenses that you may occur, like a hotel overnight, ground transportation, unexpected meals, things of that nature. And while the current list of airline passenger rights is very small, some rules are in place to help with travel disruptions. So you are entitled to a refund. In accordance with the Department of Transportation policy, every airline passenger is entitled to a cash refund when their flight is canceled or significantly delayed or when the schedule is significantly changed. That's, of course, if you don't fly. And that goes for weather-related disruptions and those that are technically the airline's responsibility like maintenance issues or mechanical issues. But of course, there are caveats. You're only entitled to a refund for unused portions of your trip. If you fly, for example, from Chicago to Washington, D.C., and your trip gets canceled and you decide to take the train home, you are owed a refund only for the return portion of your trip, not anything that you have flown. The Department of Transportation does not actually define what constitute a significant delay or schedule change, but the Biden administration is trying to change that. At the moment, the federal government does not technically require airlines to compensate passengers for flight delays that are the airline's responsibility. Biden is trying to change that as well. However, most U.S. airlines will provide meals, cash, or vouchers when delays cause 
a wait of three hours or longer. Additionally, most major carriers guarantee hotel accommodations when delays lead to an unexpected overnight stay. And then again, you really have to consider the caveat of weather. If anything is related to weather, the airlines can say, not our fault. It's an act of God. You're pretty much on your own. That's why it's very important to have travel insurance. As far as compensation for airline cancellations, just like with delays, airlines are not required to compensate passengers for canceled flights. However, most U.S. carriers do provide some guarantees for cancellations deemed to be their responsibility. All 10 carriers evaluated by Department of Transportation guarantee meals, with the exception of one airline, that's Frontier. And then this is, of course, if the wait is three hours or longer. And then, of course, you know, if you buy an airline ticket and something happens within 24 hours, you immediately can cancel the reservation for a full refund. There is a 24-hour window for all tickets purchased. Then there are tarmac delays. There were some requirements placed on tarmac delays back in 2010 when it just got out of control. I don't know if you remember that. But yes, some time limits were put on there for two hours. What happens if you're sitting on the tarmac providing food and water? And then three hours where you're supposed to be able to get off of that airplane. Yes, because there were people that just were stuck for hours upon hours. I don't know if you remember that, but I certainly do. The new airline passenger rights is under consideration and it will address all of these issues and put the United States more in line with the European Union and their provision known as EU 261. And that will provide more protections and compensations for travelers. All in all, summer's back. Yes, it is in full effect and I am happy for it. Well, that's all I've got for travel news. And when I come back, we'll discover the Seychelles with Tourism Seychelles Regional Director David Germain. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm your host and travel pro, Javon Harley. Head on over to the website, TravelingCulturati.com. Join the travel club. And you know, I really want you to follow me on social media. We have some wonderful discussions and posts and destinations. And I want you to share what you're doing as well. Show us where you're traveling to, how you travel, your experiences, all of those things. Today, I'm super excited to have a chat with David Germain, the Regional Director for Tourism Seychelles, who is also a Seychelles National. We're going to discover the Seychelles. We're going to get to know the island nation just a little bit more. Hello, David, and welcome to Traveling Culturati. Thank you very much, John, and thank you for the opportunity to speak to your audience about my beautiful islands. Uh, well, I definitely am looking forward to visiting myself. I've never been, so I'm excited to learn more about the Seychelles and also to put it on our list. I don't like to call them bucket lists. I like to call them life lists, but to put it on the list of places that I need to go to. Lovely. We're waiting for you. <laughs> so now the Seychelles, is it an island nation? The Seychelles is an archipelago. It's a group of 115 islands 
located off the east coast of Africa. Now, if you look at the map, you will find us northeast of Madagascar in the Western Indian Ocean. It is a group consists of 115 islands made up of 74 coral islands and 42 granitic islands spread out across the Western Indian Ocean. Oh, wow. Now, how many of those islands are inhabited versus uninhabited? Uh, 23 islands are inhabited, and it's mainly the granitic islands of Seychelles that are inhabited. The main island of the Seychelles is called Mahe Island, and it's the island which has most of the infrastructures, like the airport and most of the businesses and so on. And the second island, Prale, which is only 21 miles away from Mahe, is the second principal island, and Ladig next to Prale, which is only about seven miles from Prale, is the third principal island of Seychelles. Everything is close and small as the population of Seychelles at 100,000 people only. Wow, only 100,000 in population. And what is that nationality makeup? Our nationality is a Creole a nation. Javon, if I bring you back 250 years ago, the whole Seychelles archipelago were all uninhabited. There were nobody living on these islands. And uh, gradually the French came, the Spanish came, the Portuguese came, as you know, looking for territories around the world. And the French discovered the Seychelles and then started to colonize the Seychelles. We became a French colony for 40 years and thereafter a British colony for 250 years. And we gained our independence from the British in 1976. So we are virtually a young nation. But to go directly to your question, is our nation, we come from the liberated slaves on the islands. The whole Indian Ocean region, which consists of Madagascar, the Comoro, Rainier Island, Mauritius, and the Seychelles, we had slave settlements on our islands during the time of slavery. And after abolition of slavery, the Seychelles, the slaves were liberated, and they called the Seychelles their homes. They were made up of six, seven different nationalities, Portuguese, French, Africans, mainly Black Africans, Arabs, English, French. And that's us today. And we speak Creole, which is also spoken in other Indian Ocean islands as well. And we are a Creole nation and we speak Creole, French, and English. I see. And earlier you mentioned that proximity to Madagascar, do you have some of those exotic creatures that Madagascar has that you can't find anyplace else in the world? No, we do not. Very interesting questions because our history for Seychelles is there are two kind of stories to it. One has it that Seychelles was once attached to the African continent, our group of islands, and there was a huge eruption and we got drifted away into the Western Indian Ocean. That's one theory. Second theory is that we're still attached to Africa under the sea, that there is a, a plateau and that we are a sunken land that has gone underneath and the Seychelles Islands are the mountain peaks 
of this island. I would imagine then that you have some beautiful diving when you're talking about, you know, underneath and being so close to Africa, but off the coast. Javon, we bless it. We bless it in many ways. You know, we are a Christian nation, 90% Roman Catholic, and we all thank God for what is given us. And Seychelles, we have so many unique attractions. First of all, we located in the Western Indian Ocean, and our climate is 75 to 85 degrees Fahrenheit, January to December. It's perpetual summer right through. And we do not have any cyclone or any hurricanes or any bad weather. Excellent telecommunication right through. We are a disease-free destination. Visitors to the Seychelles doesn't need any health certificate, no yellow fever, no vaccination, and obviously no visa for all nations of the world to visit Seychelles. Extremely safe destination as well. You can go virtually everywhere. There are no wildlife in Seychelles, nothing poisonous, and virtually free for everybody to go right around Seychelles. So we're really, really fortunate to be in this position. And this is why we have adopted an ecotourism policy whereby 52% of Seychelles land and sea is under protection, where we protect our natural habitat on land and at sea, whereby in the Seychelles, you're not allowed to kill turtle, you're not allowed to kill dolphin, you cannot pick up live shells, no shell fishing allowed, applicable for visitors and locals alike, and you cannot pay your way out of it. It's imprisonment. I know that you said that you're primarily Christian, but is there some diversity in the religion there? There is. Out of the 100,000 people, 90% are Roman Catholic, and the rest are Anglican, like me. And then we have one mosque on the island, and there's about two, three, four other religions. But you know, we respect all faith. If you let getting into your Catholic church, you can easily go into the Adventist church and pray to God. This happens all the time, and we live in harmony together. I see. So let's get back to some of the things to do and to see. I was asking earlier about diving. Are there some of the islands that are, are better locations for diving than others? Because you said some are granite as far as some of the islands that you have. Very good question. For professional divers who would really want to come and dive and see the real things, we get them to go to our coral islands. And these are the islands that is located on the edge of our archipelago. And there you see really the real thing, the real diving, the real stuff that divers really come to see. And it's not diving around shipping wrecks and all these things. We have very few of these. It's actually diving in the deep blue sea in the nature. But at the same time, around the granitic islands, our principal islands, you can enjoy also beautiful diving of the reefs and other interesting places around the islands as well. So yes, we are a very good place for diving and I've actually been promoting Seychelles in the United States, in the Americas, as a diving destination. 
And the only thing that I would say with regards to divers interested to dive in the Seychelles is to omit the month of July and August, because this is the time in the Indian Ocean where we get a bit of rough seas, it's windy, it rains a little bit as well. We call it the monsoon weather because of the weather in India. And we get a bit of adverse weather in the Indian Ocean at that time. Otherwise, from September to June, it's beautiful all around. What else should we expect in going to visit Seychelles? Javon, we promote Seychelles, a holiday to the Seychelles, as an experience. Although the world knows that we've got stunning beaches voted every year by Condé Nast amongst the world's most beautiful beaches, we promote a lot of our culture because we believe that visitors coming to our islands has a story to tell when they go back home. And we have a lot of cultural tours, a lot of cultural excursions, and a lot of our local handicraft on display. And, you know, we are a very niche destination. We are not mass. So the most popular accommodation basis in the Seychelles is bed and breakfast or half board. And we encourage that to allow visitors to be able to go out and discover their little cove for the day, the area to swim and to be on the beach with very limited people as the Seychelles, all beaches, according to our constitution, public. But at the same time, you will find quite very, very few people daily on a beach in Seychelles. So I would say that 10 to 15 people on a beach in the Seychelles is a busy beach and visitors will move to the next one. Well, it certainly does sound like paradise. No predators or <laughs> poisonous animals and beautiful weather year round and beaches that are not overpopulated. It certainly sounds like paradise. Let's talk about getting to the Seychelles. You said you're off the coast of East Africa. So what's the best way to get to the Seychelles? We have air access from all over the world. And the main carrier to the Seychelles are the Middle East carriers. Emirates brings the whole world to Seychelles. They fly twice daily to Seychelles. Qatar Airways flies daily, Turkish daily, Etihad as well. And then you have British Airways from Europe, Condor from Germany, Air France, from France and African carrier as well, Ethiopian Airlines, Kenya Airways, and our own airlines has Seychelles from Johannesburg, South Africa. So we're very, very well uh, connected with the world, and we get visitors from all over the world to the Seychelles on a daily basis. What would you say is your biggest cultural aspect? Because you, know, you said you identify as Creole. So let's talk a little bit about the culture. The biggest cultural aspect is obviously where we come from. And this is something that we're very proud of, the fact that we come from the liberated slaves on the island, and we consider ourselves as a unique race, although in the Indian Ocean there are other countries, as I mentioned, Mauritius before, but the Mauritian Creole nation population, they have a big Indian community in Mauritius, which has integrated into their languages as well. And I think in the Indian Ocean region, I'm right in saying that the real Creole race is in the Seychelles, and we very much want to maintain that. And we promote our culture quite a lot. Actually, the government 
make sure that we do promote our culture at school and in radio every day on television as well it's the pride of the nation to be able to to uphold our culture for who we are as a nation let's talk about the national dish or the cuisine of the Seychelles the local cuisine if you come to the Seychelles from anywhere in the world we actually can satisfy all tastes as i said earlier we get visitors from all over the world a lot from the middle east including israel and we cater for them we we just need to know regarding the special dietary requirements available and we will cook accordingly otherwise our local dishes is a delicious dishes obviously being islands we cook a lot of fish and our daily diet as a seychellois if you come into our home one day you will eat rice fish a nice salad maybe a nice mango chutney a nice papaya chutney a nice bowl of salad with it and some lentils as well as one dish if you come the next day will change you'll have a beautiful shark chutney with maybe a chicken curry with coconut milk and vanilla or cinnamon as well we utilize a lot of spice and aroma as well and uh, our fish dishes varies quite a lot and we eat fish and rice as our main diet every day and during the weekend saturday sunday we change a little bit bit of beef and the chicken as well everything spicy with a bowl of chili nearby ah bowl of chili then did i hear you correctly you said shark chutney lovely we eat you know the seychelles our islands as i mentioned before the granitic islands of seychelles are surrounded by coral reefs so we do not have these big sharks as in other places that would attack people we have very small sharks called coral sharks reef sharks about the size of your arm that comes close and we catch them catch boil them squeeze the water out of them put them in a pan with some olive oil some garlic and some lemon stir them and nicely until they start of turn a bit of a golden brown color then you steam some white rice put them all over it sit outside on a rock and eat with your hands with a beer or a nice glass of rum beautiful so more like what i would call a ceviche is just kind of cooked with acid like lime or lemon juice something like that so when you say rum is it a local rum local rum we have a local rum distillery in the seychelles called the takamaka rum takamaka is a tree coastal tree in the seychelles and they gave the rum this name it started about 12 years ago it's so popular they have a lot of different local rums that practically every visitors living the seychelles go out with a bottle and a lovely rum with vanilla essence with cinnamon essence lots of spices really really very lovely amongst the local and visitors as well now culture is also about the music is there a unique genre of music from the seychelles yes there is our local traditional music is called the mutia the mutia is the music which the slaves used to play and the music of the slaves used to convey special messages 
if you listen to their songs, it conveys their misery, the hardship that they went through. And also it conveys the stories of the living on the islands as well, good or bad. Conveys stories of where they come from, their roots and their culture. This is the traditional music of the Seychelles. Otherwise, we have our local music, which is called the Sega. And the Sega is more of an Indian Ocean type of local music, which is also danced in Mauritius and in, in Réunion Island as well, which is a French department and the Seychelles. But we dance it at different rhythm, faster in Mauritius, less faster in Seychelles, and much less faster in, in Réunion as well. A lot to do with the waist, dancing with the waist. But this is our traditional Indian Ocean music. I see. And when you say the inhabitants that were people who had been enslaved and part of like a transition island or a place where there was transportation, where did the people come from? A very interesting question. I'm going to tell you something very interesting. As I mentioned to you, I promote Seychelles in the Americas as well, and I travel to the United States and Canada very often promoting Seychelles as much as possible and South America, Brazil and the rest. Our slaves were the slaves that were sold from the East African marketplace, and this is in Mozambique. Mozambique sold most of the African slaves to different parts of the world, including North America as well. And these are the same nationality of slaves that we ended up in the Seychelles as well. And they're made up of Portuguese, of Africans, Black Africans, as I say, from Black African countries, Af uh, Arabian slaves also, these three different nationalities predominantly. Now, I'm going to tell you something very interesting. One day I flew from South Africa to New York, and I took a JetBlue flight going to Fort Lauderdale for an exhibition, travel exhibition to promote Seychelles there. Midway between the flight from New York to for Dottedale, I could hear people talking Creole on the flight in front of the plane. I got up and I went to inquire and I could understand what they were saying. So I go a little bit closer and I picked up the fact that they were not from Seychelles because I could see that the way they spoke Creole was with a singing tone. And then I just introduced myself and I spoke in Creole to them. They also picked up the fact that I was not of them, and they were very curious to know where I was from. And I was asked to sit. I sat by them, and we had a conversation, and they were people from Haiti, Haitian. And we spoke about food. They were talking about a local Creole dish with banana, which is called ladob. We call it ladob in Seychelles. And they cook it the same way as we do, with coconut milk, with vanilla, and cinnamon as well, ladob banana. And I understood everything, what they were saying. What I discovered when I got back, it amazes me, actually. I was very surprised, given the millions of kilometers between us. But when I got back, I tried to find out why the connection being so far. And I spoke to some historian in Seychelles and other people. And I found out that we had more or less the same type of slave nationality on our islands that made up our population. Oh, very interesting. And we find that the world becomes a much smaller place as we travel and we meet people, as your story just kind of explains. But what about the original inhabitants of Seychelles? 
The original inhabitants of Seychelles came from the first French exhibition, and they were made up of Indians, Africans. There was only one Indian woman, and Africans, I think there were seven Africans, and then the rest were of Europeans. They landed on one of our islands and started plantations, building of a few houses, and so on. Thereafter, moved on to the main island of Seychelles, and other expedition came in with other laborers, other slaves, and so on, and thus started the French colonization of our islands, which lasted 40 years, and thereafter the British took over, and we became a British colony for 250 years until 1976, when we gained our independence, and we are a multi-party democracy today. I see. So prior to Seychelles becoming more or less a trading post or a place en route for trading, there were no original inhabitants. So those were the first to inhabit the islands. That is correct. And this brings us a little bit during the spice trade as well. If you remember that time, Seychelles was used more or less as a staging post for approvisionment on, on their way to India or to Africa. Do all of the flights come into the main island? And then how do you get to the other islands from there? From anywhere in the world, you fly to Mahe Island. This is the principal island of the Seychelles. If you're coming with the aeroplane, then you land on Mahe. This is where the main airport is. You clear custom, immigration, and then you go wherever you need to go. If you're coming by boat as well, with cruise ships or any other vessel, You'll enter the main port of Seychelles, which is on Mahe Island as well, clear, and then you go wherever you need to go. Now, going to the other islands, first there is the second principal island of Seychelles, Prale. To travel to Prale, there are three options, actually. The main and most popular option is we have a catamaran ferry service every day, during the day only, from Mahe to Prale which is only one hour trip. And it departs from Mahe from eight o'clock in the morning. And the last trip is about six in the evening. You can pre-book and book your ticket, obtain your ticket to go to Prale and back. Same to go to Ladig Island, which is a third principal island of Seychelles. Second option is Air Seychelles. Our national airline flies domestic flights from Mahe to Prale. And this is very short flights. They have caravan, which carry about 20 people. And it's virtually up and down. It's only 15 minutes flight. And third is helicopter. And this is mainly for the upmarket visitors to Seychelles, staying at four or five-star properties that takes the helicopter ride. But it is available. It's a little bit more pricey between Mahe, Prale, and Ladig Island. Those are the three options. Would you say that a majority of visitors stay on Mahe Island, the main island, or are you going to the other two principal islands for particular or unique reasons? Visitors to Seychelles, it's about what you would want to do in the archipelago. If somebody is traveling or would like to travel to Seychelles and ask you, who has never visited the islands, would like to go to the Seychelles, your first question to them would be, what would you like to do in the Seychelles? And then you send them to the place where they can do what they want to do. Now, the main island of Seychelles is a little bit more moving, 
although we are not busy in Seychelles compared to other destinations, it's very laid back everywhere. But if it's someone who comes to try and discover the islands, but at the same time would want to dance a little bit in the evening, to go into casino and try the luck as well in the evening, then it's best to stay on Mahe. If it's someone who would like to have less fun and see less people and uh, be a bit more laid back, then they can go to Praleh Island where you can do a lot of nature trails and ride bicycles and so on. And if it's someone who wants really to be Robinson Crusoe, and then they can go to our coral islands and they have virtually an own island for themselves. There are no internet, there are no lock on the doors, there are quite a few people just to serve you. The food is there, you do what you want, when you want, and just get disconnected from the world for three, four, five days. David, thank you so much for joining me today and giving us such a wonderful picture of Seychelles Islands. It's on my list. I hope to be there very soon. We look forward to welcoming you and your audience as well. And I wish to thank you for the opportunity to talk about the Seychelles. Thank you very much. Absolutely. And if you'd like to get more information, you can go to the website, which is Seychelles.travel. And Seychelles is spelled S-E-Y-C-H-E-L-L-E-S. Again, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Jevon. Thank you. Bye-bye. When I come back, I have the culture report. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm your host and travel pro, Javon Harley. Make sure you head on over to the website, TravelingCulturati.com and join in on the fun because you know we go to some fabulous places. While you're there, join the Travel Club and follow us on social media. Culture is forever changing and reflecting what's happening in the society and with its people. It can be born of the arts, music, food, and sometimes politics and strife. This is the Culture Report, and I have the wonderful opportunity to speak to someone who has a very unique perspective on culture and sharing his culture with the world. I am honored to be on with Jeliba Baba, the storyteller and touring artist. Hello, Jeliba Baba, and welcome to Traveling Culturati. Hello, Devon, and thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Absolutely. What a wonderful story you have and art that you have, because storytelling, I think, is going away. And there aren't many people still doing storytelling. So tell me about how you got started in the genre, because you also combine it with music, too. Yeah, actually, my entry into this wasn't as an artist. I was an educator first. And I think the thing that's unique about me practicing sort of like this ancient storytelling craft out of West Africa is that I wasn't born into this craft. I wasn't born in Africa. I was born here in this country. But when I was growing up, I spent a lot of time with my great-grandfather. And my great-grandfather lived to be 110 years old. And culture was something that was very important to my great-grandfather. He used to talk about 
knowing yourself through your ancestors. And that was the kind of language he would use with me. And my great-grandfather's mother and father were both born into slavery. So I'm a descendant of those people who at one point in this country were enslaved. So growing up the 60s and the 70s, you know, our immersion into the educational system was quite different <laughs> than it is today. And much of my affirmations as a human being, I got from home, not in school. So my desire was to be a historian. All the greatest men and women who I admired coming up, uh, whom I had read, were all historians in some way, shape or form. So that's what I wanted to do. And I did what everybody says you're supposed to do. You know, you go to college, you marry, you do all the things you're supposed to do. But at one point, I was living in Compton here in Southern California, and we were having, I'm just going to be real, we were having major issues with violence and drug wars, things like that. And part of what I was doing along with a few other men in the community was we were taking young people aside and taking them through what we called rites of passage. And those were like taking them on hikes, getting them out of the city, taking them to the beach, museums, science centers. We were doing all these things. My job in the group was to teach history. And so I used music, song, real traditional ways to try to engage the youth in getting them excited about learning their history. So it, it kind of started there. And then there was the initiation in Africa and the music and all of those things. But in a nutshell, that's kind of how I got to be where I am. Well, it's wonderful. And I'm so happy to see and hear that there are people like you who are continuing the history of storytelling and further enhancing the history that we're getting or not getting in school. <laughs> we yeah. still have a long way to go. With, oh, don't with, we though? Don't we though? <laughs> with the history that we're getting and not getting and making sure that what we're getting is the true history. So, right. you know, thank you for that because my parents too made sure that we got certain history outside of what school was teaching us. And it proved to be so instrumental and really gave us a broader sense of ourselves and broader sense of the world too. Now, the instrument that you use, I'm a bit familiar with. We used to do something called the Cora Awards. We didn't organize the Cora Awards, but someone that we were affiliated with did in South Africa. And that right. was just the you name of you. You were a part of that? Yes, we were. Wow, such a small world. I did not know that. Hey, you can't see me, but I'm bowing down to you right now. <laughs> <laughs> the Cora Awards were foundational in South Africa, and I won't go deep into it, but I admire what y'all did to put that together. That was an incredible thing. It really was, and we were honored to be a part of it. I can't take the credit for putting it together, but we did work in bringing Americans over to be a part of it and to attend it and bringing African-American artists over as well. As a matter of fact, we just reconnected with the organizer and he's trying to reorganize mm -hmm. it. So we're excited about that. But that brings me to your instrument, the Cora. Mm -hmm. So how did you get into playing the Cora? Well, like I said, my passion has always been history. And I grew up in the 60s, the 70s. And those who were around at that time, they might remember when, I think it was maybe about 75 or 76, when Roots came out. And this entire nation in the U.S. was huddled around the TV. And it was almost like everyone watched Roots or had read Alex Haley's book, Roots. And I was no different. I was a teenager. But when Alex Haley went back to West Africa, he went back to this country called the Gambia which is the smallest 
land country in Africa. And he was greeted by an oral historian who told him the story of his ancestor, Kunta Kinte, who was taken away. And the story was related through a bit of narrative, but also singing, song, and the playing of the Korah. That was one of the first times I had ever seen anyone play the Korah. When I found out it was the oral historian's instrument, I gravitated toward it. I don't use it as a musician. I use it as a teaching tool. I use it in the way that it was meant to, to relay our history, to remind us of our valuable lessons. So I actually went to Africa, studied, and spent a lot of time learning the language that is a part of the core, which is Bamana, Mandinka, Malinke, those West African languages, and the stories and the songs associated with them. So in a way, I act as a bridge between my African-American ancestors who suffered in this land and my African ancestors who crossed the Middle Passage and survived to get us here. And I use the Quora as a tool to sort of like share that knowledge and that information. So it is storytelling in one sense, but it's so much more than the way we typically conceive storytelling. I see. And tell us a bit more about the instrument itself, what the Quora is. It's a real basic instrument. It's made of a gourd or calabas. That's the resonator. And then there is a neck on the instrument that spikes it. It goes through the gourd, comes out the other end. And it has a bridge and a couple of handles on it. And the strings are all attached to the neck. And on the core, there are 21 strings, 10 on the left, 11 on the right. And you play them by alternating your thumb and index finger on both hands. So it's a sonorous, it's a very resonating instrument. And when you play it, it sounds like there's more than one instrument being played. And it's a really unique instrument. By definition, it's a harp, by definition. Mm. But it's the only harp in the world where the neck spikes the resonator. This will probably make more sense to the musicians out there than anyone else. <laughs> but that's the basic structure of the instrument. And it was the instrument played for the royal families of the West African empires, Mali, Songhai, Ghana. And the songs that are sung on it are tribute songs to those who do heroic deeds in society. I have to sing your praises here because you're the recipient of California State Assembly Certificate of Recognition for your creative uses of storytelling and commitment to the community. Also earned additional commendations from both the U.S. Senate and the U.S. Congress for the work that you've done. And the city of Long Beach, California has recognized you as their municipality's Artist of the Year, an award presented to you by the mayor. And what I love most is that you tour internationally as a cultural educator, sharing your unique style with storytelling and the instrument, the Quora. Tell me about some of the places, because you came to us because you were performing at mm -hmm. the Aquarium of the Pacific right. as they were celebrating the Aquarium's Juneteenth event. Tell me more about your touring and the sites that you visit and the sites that you perform at. You know, I would love to take credit for the structure of what I do. But being a historian, actually what I've done is I've taken the template that has been laid out by our African-American ancestors going back decades, even to the Harlem Renaissance. There was a point in the 1920s where many African-Americans were leaving this country and they were going to places like France and different parts of Europe, Spain, even back to portions of Africa. 
And they were traveling and they were actually before that, even Frederick Douglass toured England talking about the conditions of African-Americans. So one of my heroes was Paul Robeson and Paul Robeson toured the world and he sung, he did theater. I mean, he was an incredible human being, but he used his art form to advance knowledge of what was happening with African-Americans here in this country. And I sort of like adopted that template to say that this is a part of our legacy that we shouldn't deny. So when I tour, I get invited. I've been done this for 35 years, so I've been invited all over the world. And I've been invited by governments. I've been invited by ministers of education, schools, NGOs. And I think the appreciation for someone who is steeped in a history but can deliver it in a very traditional way is something that the rest of the world has been very accepting of. And I also deal in languages. So sometimes when I tour, I'm dealing with languages that I'm fluent in in other countries and able to impart what we call the Black experience here in the U.S. in a way where people otherwise would not have known about it because popular media, it doesn't usually have our voice. So I think that has been my blessing, my gift, my honor to be able to do. And fortunately, the world has been accepting of that. Thank you so much for sharing your story, your craft, your gift. And I know that you are currently on the West Coast, but we hope to see you touring the United States pretty soon and at other <laughs> locations. Are you always touring or is there a foundation, a place where one can find you most often? I tour all over. And in fact, I'm in conversations with some people in Washington, Boston, along the East Coast mm. to do some things during the school year there. Yeah. So I am in conversation. So, you know, I might end up in your backyard. You, you never know. You never know. <laughs> and how do we follow you? <laughs> BobOfTheStoryteller.com. Also, I highly encourage people to subscribe to my YouTube channel, which is easy to find. If you go on YouTube and search Bob of the Storyteller, it's me. Whether it's Instagram or Twitter, it's Bob of the Storyteller. You'll find me and DM me. I feel like I'm part of this grand community of creatives and artists and progressive thinkers out there. And I always look for inspiration from others. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you a lot, Javon. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Ladies and gentlemen.